incarcerated, sitting in prison, and you're missing a group of people that is family, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your mom or dad, and, and in this case, maybe it's a group of people that you spent time with, you helped plan a church, and you're 800 miles away. Just picture yourself 800 miles away. Um, you're sitting in Virginia, and you're longing to get back with this group of people because you love them, and you get a chance to write a letter, and you're hoping that the letter gets to them. And so you began to write this letter, and all these things came to mind. Like, what will I say to my mom? What will I say to my dad? What will I say to my kids if I can write them a letter, and they're going to get it? What can I say to this, this church that I helped plant? What might I say? And so you begin to craft these words, and it's like, boy, I don't want to miss out on this, and you erase it, or, and maybe in this case you type it, and you're getting this letter. We don't want it to be too long, but you want to hit the stuff that's important. That's what this letter is. It's, it's a letter from a man named Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And God knew that this letter not only would be written to the Philippian church, but it'd be written to Grace Community Church 2,000 years later. And so you're writing this letter and, and your personality comes out on all these remembrances. Like, I remember the time I did this with this man called Epaphroditus. And I remember when, when Timothy came here. And, and then I remember your needs. And, and, and so this letter comes and, and now you wrote it. And now you get a chance to open up your inbox and you get to read somebody else's mail, somebody else's letter. Imagine you're writing a letter to a group of people that you love and really care about, and now someone else gets to open up your email and read the letter that you wrote. What might they find? Well, that's what this letter is. It's, it's from Paul to this group of people that he loves while he's incarcerated, and he's going to remind him in just this portion of a letter, and that's what we're doing today. We're just taking chunk by chunk of this letter and saying, why did he write that? And, and because he wrote that and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, how can we apply that to our lives? Like, what's that mean to me in the context of what it meant to them in modern day? What would that even look like? And so today we're going to see that Paul is saying that, that you must place the interests of others above yourself. Like, it seems like that's his reoccurring theme. But then he mentions these two friends, this one friend called Timothy, this other friend called Epaphroditus in the midst of a letter, just like you would. Hey, let me tell you about these two friends that I know, and I'm going to tell you why they're important. And here's what I want to tell you about them. They always place others above themselves. They, 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 they put you before me. And they were willing to put you before me. And so this letter, like this is the chunk we're going to look at today. And what Paul is saying is by the Holy Spirit that you and I must place the you's before us, the you before me. Now, have you ever been in a setting where someone just does just the opposite? It's all about them. You ever show up somewhere and it's like, nonstop me, 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 me. Let me show you what I've done. Let me show you all the accomplishments I have. And it's like, man, is there anybody else in the room but them? Well, when it's done that way, it's not what Christ wants to happen. But every once in a while, you're reminded how ugly that looks. Take a look at this for a second. I'm actually kind of quiet off stage. A lot of people don't realize that. I was at a dinner party recently. A bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right? And then I, and then myself, right? Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself. And then me, 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 me. Beware the me monster. So I tried to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, that ain't nothing. Oh, well, 
Didn't mean to waste everybody's time. <laughs> Telling my nothing story. Here, let Marco Polo speak. He's back with tales of adventure. My story ain't nothing. Maybe it wasn't, because I made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled, and I learned a lesson. Don't ever try to tell a two wisdom tooth story, because you ain't going nowhere. The four wisdom teeth people are going to parachute in and cut you off at the pass. Halt! Halt with your two wisdom tooth tail! You will never complete one, trust me. I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had, um... I had two, but I had four pulled. Oh, okay. No, five. No, nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming upside down. The roots were wrapped around my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled them out with pliers. I was eating corn in the cob that afternoon. Pin the blue ribbon upon his chest. That knocks the socks off of my wisdom tooth tail. Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it, and I see it all the time. Obviously, people get something out of it. At best, people wait for your lips to stop. Yeah, as soon as... Okay, yeah, you, me! You, me! You see the difference? You see, you see that? Now I do. What is it about the human condition? People get something out of that. That's why I have a social fantasy. I wish I was one of the 12 astronauts who have been on our moon. They must love knowing they can beat anybody's story whenever they want. They can sit back quietly at a dinner party while some other person, some me monster, is doing his thing and let him go. Let him run with the line while you be quiet. Oh, really? <laughs> let him have his moment. Yeah, I'm a big traveler. I have my business all. I got my own global enterprise. I got to check on, you know, driving in the Autobahn because I keep a fleet of sports cars over in Zurich and I get this Swiss account that I want to check out. Mount Kilimanjaro expedition might have to cancel that. You know, runways in Aspen are a lot shorter the first time you go in there. You know, you know, the Pacific Rim Company are going to try to take that over. It's global enterprise. I walked on the moon. Well, you have the floor, Moonwalker. <laughs> you know, you mentioned driving on the Autobahn. That reminded me. Once I was driving in the Sea of Tranquility. In my Lunar Rover. And I, too, was worried about our speed till I remembered, wait, we're the only ones on the moon. <laughs> you guys are great. Thank you very much. Anybody know anybody like that? Well, Paul is going to show us just the opposite. The, the, the crazy thing about that is that people came to mind as I was watching that. And uh, it's a sad commentary to think that. It's good to laugh, you know. Like some people, we laughed in church. You actually showed a comedian church? Yes, we did. We showed it 
Praise God for that. God's given people the gift to laugh and tell funny stories. Paul is telling us just the opposite. He's saying that we're supposed to live in such a way that we aren't the me monsters, that it's not about us, that we should place the yous in our lives before us. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what I mean and turn to Philippians chapter two as we continue through this book. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. It's also fun to watch people who laughed and people who didn't laugh at all during that. It's like, you must have had a fight with your wife on the way here this morning or something. <laughs> or something went wrong in the car. It's like, we can't laugh, can't laugh now because I was mad at her before I got here. It's like, maybe I just incriminated a couple of you. Sorry about that. Let's just, just watch it, watch it happen. But turn to Philippians chapter two. And we're going to read verses 19 through 30. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. Stand with me and just read this out loud, this part of the letter today. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Now keep in mind, you before me. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Then he says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I might have less anxiety." So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. You may have a seat. We see right away, even from this passage, and it's a premise that we know to be true, but we need to, Paul is showing us in the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that people need people. God has designed us to live in community with each other, to share life with, to mentor others, to lead others, to join in the mission of reaching others. God has put us in community. There's a reality show that I've enjoyed watching on TV and it's called Lost and and Abandoned. It's this group that goes to this, the Vancouver Island where most grizzly bears per square mile are and they drop off these people with a few supplies and they put them by themselves and it's they don't have even have anyone there filming they're doing all the filming and they try to see how long they can make it on their own with their own food and and existence and then they don't know they start with 10 or 12 8 10 12 people and they don't know when other people have given up they have to press a button on this radio and they come in to rescue them so they never know at what point how many people are left and 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 it's Every time I watch this, you'll see one thing surface. They get to a point in this journey where they miss their family, where they miss their wife, their kids, their friends. God has put this longing in us for relationship and for companionship. And even more so, God has put in us to serve others. In fact, look at the beginning of this letter. Now look at back again at Philippians chapter one, we read a couple weeks back. Look how Paul describes himself in Philippians one. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Even Paul himself, I mean, he could have said, 
I, I'm about to write 12 books of the New Testament. He could have said that, uh, that, 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 that I've done this, all these things as a Gentile, that I used to have this position, that, that, that I used to have, be able to do this. But he doesn't. He says, I am a servant, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Even himself. He doesn't elevate himself. He puts himself on the same level as everyone else. And so he begins to talk about these two people. Look at verse 20. He says, I have no one else like him, Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. He says, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy was a younger man, much younger man than Paul. Yet he genuinely loved him. Paul has him by his side. He's in prison. He's incarcerated. He says, I love this man because he serves others. He is there and he brings great comfort to me. As much as he enjoyed this company, he longs to help the Philippian church. He said, if I don't get back with you, there will be a point that I hope to send Timothy to you too. He is constantly showing us in this letter, and even more importantly in this part of the letter, that the interests of others should be placed above ourselves. I keep hearing this, and I'm even reading this again this week. So what does that mean? Like, how can we, like, how can we do this in 2016 right now? How can we place interest about what are some practical ways? And so maybe it's just you choosing to do something with your friends, your wife, your kids that would not be your first choice just because they want to. Maybe you have a desire this afternoon to do this, but your child wants to walk in the parade. It's too hot! I want to get in the AC. But mommy, I want to sit on the float. And dad, I want to sit on the float. And maybe you're a child and your parents want to walk and they're saying, hey, would you join me? No, it's too hot. I'd rather. Maybe it's just you saying, I'm going to do what you want instead of what I want to do. Maybe it's something as simple this week with the remote control. Your wife wants to watch HGTV and you want to watch ESPN TV. And so you hand the remote over. Let me tell you, that is a selfless act. And you're thinking, no, but I want to see what happened if Jeff Gordon won today. I want to see the highlights. But I want to see how they decorate the kitchen. Okay, then let's watch them decorate the kitchen. And you don't begrudgingly sit there. You enjoy it with them. It's as simple as doing something as that. Maybe it's a restaurant choice and you say, you know, I'd rather go here because I like this food and your wife likes sushi and you can't stand sushi. Okay, I'll eat it. And you smile as you chunk and take bites of that sushi. And you pray to ask the Holy Spirit, help me, Jesus, help me, help me, help me. (laughs) Maybe you change your behavior to show that you love someone. Has your husband or wife, mom or dad, son or daughter, friend ever come to you and said, that thing that you do, that really bothers me. You know, when you crunched your ice at the end of that Coke and you crunch it and you're sitting there and I've told you 700 million times, and maybe this is the 700 million and one time that you finally choose not to crunch your ice. It's the simple things sometimes that mean the most to people. Maybe you rearrange your schedule to serve the interests of others. I mean, are you that kind of person that someone, when they're in a time of need, they go through their contact list and they say, no, they won't show up. No, they, they're too busy. No, 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 no. But you would say, 
if I called this person, they would drop whatever they're doing and they would be there. Who's your go-to person? Let me ask you this. Are you anybody else's go-to person? Would even your wife or husband call someone else before they called you to help them? How do you place someone's interests or you above your own? You're willing to step into a, a situation, a chaotic situation. You're willing to lead a group of people. You're willing to step up and not let, wait until someone else steps up. You're saying, man, I'm going to step up and lead. And I'm going to take the criticism because once you lead, you see, a lot of people don't lead because they can't take the heat of leading. Maybe you take the heat of leading because as soon as you lead something, guess what? Everyone gets a chance to lob bombs at your way of leading. Maybe you're realizing, I'm going to take the heat because it's too important that this isn't led well. Paul says about Timothy, I have no one else like him. Like, he's the kind of guy that serves the interests of others before he serves himself. And he, he's, here's some of the characteristics of Timothy that we're going to see. He shows genuine concern for the welfare of others. Not a professional. Like, he didn't need to be in prison beside Paul. Like, he didn't need to travel where he was incarcerated. It's not a professional kind of care. It's not because he was paid to do it. It's not that he just does it because he's on the clock. It's not that we care for others, a genuine concern, because we can leverage that relationship and by hanging out with them. It's, it's by saying, I am willing to hang out with whomever God wants me to, not because it benefits me. In fact, I'm going to do for someone, for something, for someone else, even if I get nothing in return. Not because you want to gain popularity serving them, but just because you feel compelled by the Spirit to place someone interests above you, a genuine concern for someone. As I was reading this, I wondered, and maybe you will too, are we those kind of friends that would stand by our friend even while they're in prison and risk our reputation because we're hanging out with an incarcerated person? Or what others say about us that, man, you really care about people. Like, that is your stick. Not just that you're able to, to punch buttons and not that you're able to build and not, but you really love people. Why do I say that? Because isn't that what Paul said in Philippians chapter two? He said, we should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Remember what I said last week? That we're not here. God didn't give you another day today. Like he said, I'm gonna give you another day of life for you to enjoy and set your schedule so that when you go to bed at night, it's a good day for you. No, we're not here for us. He gave us another day so that we can point people to Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. What else do we know? What's another characteristic about Timothy? He isn't self-absorbed. That's a characteristic about another friend. He, he's not me, 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 me. He's not a me monster. What can you do for me? Or better yet, once you can no longer do anything for me, I move on. He doesn't care who gets the credit. Timothy is not concerned, nor is Paul. And he's saying, I, I'm grateful for this friendship. And I want you to know, I'm thankful that he's here. And, and need be, if I can't come, there will be a day that I'll send him to be with you because you are more important than me. You see, there's no limit. Paul knew this. There's no limit for a man, how far a man can go if he doesn't care who gets the credit. You know, I think about that often when it comes to our world that we live in. You know what primary reason why you're employed? You know why you work? 
You know why you have an employer? You know why you have a boss? You know why you have a leader in your work? You know why a check is written to you? You know what our purpose is in the workplace? You know, it's not for us. We're supposed to work as if we're working for the Lord. That, That when you punch in, you're working as if you work for God. And so I've What's that mean? You and I are supposed to work in such a way to make our bosses and our company succeed. And and let's bring it back down. You know why? To help our bosses get rich so that they can give to others. And the reason you and I are employed, the reason we have a job is we go in the workplace on Monday through Friday and we have to think, I'm working as if I'm working for the Lord. But the real reality is this. You and I are there to help our company succeed. It's not about us. If you go to work with that mindset, it changes everything. He's not self-absorbed. Timothy, he doesn't have a hidden agenda. Timothy is just there to serve Paul and to serve others. The friendship just flowed. Paul's in prison, I'm gonna go see him. He had freedom to be honest with him. He didn't have a fear that something that that he would say to Timothy would somehow come back against him in the court of law. Like he could be honest and he could he could share his deepest, darkest victory and he could or or or, or trial and trouble. And he knew that later down the road, Timothy wouldn't say, Let me tell you what Paul said. He had no fear that no matter where he went, that Timothy had his back. He knew he could trust him with any conversation. And then he says this. I mean, look at verse 22. I mean, it's an incredible passage. But look again. Look at verse 22. This is what Paul says. He's writing it to the Philippian church. Let me tell you something else about Timothy. He says in verse 22, but you know that Timothy has what himself? What's the text say? Proved himself. Look again. And you know that Timothy has what himself? What does it say? Proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with who? Me. In the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. But I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. He has proven himself. The word proven in the original has the idea that, that it's the I word, the caliber of. He has, the, he has this caliber of a man. He, he, he's not a 22. He's a 30-06. I mean, he, he, his caliber is, 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 is significant. He was tested, proved means to be tested, and he came out on the other end as the real deal. And he's looking at this church and he's saying, as the reader, he's, let me tell you about Tim. He's the real deal. He has proven himself. Even though he's young, he has proven it. He served me like a son serves his father. He understood servanthood. Now that's, that's great, by the way. There's two arms to this because you know when Paul wrote to Timothy, in, in, in Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. First Timothy 4, 12, it says, do not look down upon him because he is young. Like we like, like, had a great conversation with Pastor Tannen this week who is a millennial and, and we're talking about this passage and he really brought some good things to light as being a millennial. And he says, you know what, Jim? He says, this is a passage for me he said, that, that, I, that I, I, I long for me and for my generation to understand. He says, often my generation says, don't look down upon them because they're young. Like, we deserve. Like, I graduated from college. I deserve that. Like, I'm not willing to earn my way or prove my way. Like, Bible says, don't look down on me. Give me the job that you have. Like, he said, we like that verse. But there's two arms to this beam. 
And the other side says that, but Timothy proved himself. What's that mean? It means he earned his way. It says that he was like a, a son to a father, and a son to a father says, Dad, your authority, I submit, I will learn from you. So there's this arm. Timothy, not only, Paul said, do not look, upon my, do not look down upon him because he's young, but also, listen, hey, he's the real deal. Even though he's young, he's worked hard. He's followed. He's surrendered his will. He has earned his stripes. Now, let me speak to my generation and those that are older than me, which is becoming less and less as I age. I'm okay with that, by the way. We have to be careful, too, because we can look at the millennial generation and say this. That generation coming through, all they want, they want my job. They don't want to work as hard. And you believe they, they, they graduate from high school. They don't want to go to college. They, just want, they want to go here, and they want to make as much as me. What's wrong with that generation? I mean, how many times have you thought that, said that? Maybe not as abruptly as I just did, but you thought those thoughts. See, the reality is this. We can be over here and saying, I've earned the right to be over you. I'm experienced. i got 35 years of this shop. Who are you? I'm not doing what they want me to do. I'm not picking up a the paper on the floor, I've earned my shirt. I don't need to sweep anymore. I say, whoa, 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 whoa. A servant does what's ever needed. Serves his master. See, we have to be careful too. Like, are we really any different than a millennial that might think that I want to get this job? And we're saying, I've already done all this. I'm not going back there. I'm not pushing papers. I'm not, I'm not helping out with that. I'm not, fo- I love, here's what I love. Here's one of the things I love. I love watching servants that understand this. I love gatherings at Grace Community. And I like to watch the after effect after the big wow event. I like coming back in jumping in and I like to see who stays behind and cleans up and puts the chairs away and sweeps and puts away the trash and steps in and and does and I love it when I see someone that's educated beyond their level I mean they got so many letters before their name and after their names but they are servants and Paul is saying that's what he is let me give you a snapshot of what I mean. Like last night, my wife and I, or yesterday, came by. See, many of us today will be walking with the parade float, and we're excited about it. And, 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 and the reality is, you're going to be standing beside this float that has been constructed by some people that you have no idea who it is. And you're going to look at it, and you're going to say, wow, wow, wow. And you will. You'll go, Wow. And yet you might not realize that there have been hours and hours and hours of labor. There were men that were here last night past dark, constructing this, sweating in 90 degree weather to put this thing together. My wife and I came by just to encourage them and give them some Gatorades and say thanks. It, it, it's the picture that when, when, when we leave, it's, you know, that was like James Bennett and, 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 and Eric Purcell and Dave Purcell. You, you would never see them doing what I'm doing, but let me tell you, what they did was even more important than what I'm doing right now. Some of you might not ever see this, but we have a sweet, sweet gal that's, that volunteers here at Grace and serves and 
Her name is Ashley. And if you've ever met Ashley, then you've really missed out if you've never met her. And, and on Sundays, my wife and my family and I, we leave and we go out for lunch. It's a tradition we have. It's a pretty full day and not complaining. Praise God, we get to serve on Sundays. And so we go out to eat and we're, we come back and normally we're the last group to kind of leave. There are a couple cars here, people out eating together. And there's rarely a Sunday that we come back and, and the cars are all gone and the parking lot is pretty big and we add a new parking lot. And you know who you'll see? You'll see Ashley out there. She has a, a broom and a container to catch a dirt, and she's walking through the parking lot, just picking up. And so we always ride by her, and we say, Ashley, you rock. She smiles. And I've often thought, like, that's servanthood. Like, and I have to be honest, there's time to say, boy, I'd love to stand in her shoes at the Bema seat. <laughs> because that's what Paul's saying. He said, Timothy is a servant. Let me ask you this question. When Maybe you're my generation and your boss walks into your office and he asks you to do something that you did 20 years ago and you think, I'm above that. Or do you say, you betcha. Paul is saying, that's what servants do and that's what Timothy is doing for me. And, and then he says this, he says, I have no one else like him. It's the idea of being same-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D, a kindred spirit. They hit it off. They could pick up wherever they were left off after months of separation. This is not a casual acquaintance. I mean, he, he says, I might not be able to come, but I'm going to send him. And if I send him, everything's going to be taken care of because he's been like a son to me and I've been a father and he's listening, he's applied and he follows Christ. It's like, it's just a piece of me. So I feel good about sending him. He's proven himself. We got these things flip-flop sometimes in our world. And, and, and sometimes we elevate people because they have a doctor in front of their name or they have a, a BS at the end of their name or a BA. And, and there's nothing wrong with education. I mean, I, I went down that path. But, but in our minds, sometimes we, we got to come back and say, what's most important in God's eyes? It, it, it's servant. Let me give you an example. Like, I don't do this to, because she's my wife, but my wife, for instance. Like, you get to see me every week <laughs> preach, and you're like, wow. And you get to hear my voice, and you get to see maybe the gift that God has given me. But little do you know that my wife is just as educated. <laughs> like, my wife was the salutatorian of her high school. She is smart. Her IQ is way above mine which you probably knew that already. But, you know, I, I took Bible classes for her. I was a Bible major, and she took it because it was a gen ed. And we would take tests, and she would take tests and quizzes, and she beat me every time. Like, by the way, easily. And I was like, I studied the same stuff. And she would, how do you know that? I mean, she is bright and intelligent. And she was a business administration major and a counseling minor. Like, she is brilliant. But man, is she a servant. Like what you don't see is as important. Jesus is saying, like, you watch my wife administrate the home. You watch her care for our kids, make sure the schedules are in order. You, you, I've watched her. You know, I've been married 28 years here in August. And, and, and what she's able to do with taking care of our finances. I watch her serve, not worrying about getting credit. 
I watch her do dishes. I watch her vacuum. I watch her do laundry. I watch her love. I watch her give. I watch her mentor women. I watch her sit with people and care for them behind the scenes. It's like, that's the picture of servanthood. I would love to stand in my wife's shoes at the Bema seat. And Paul's saying, that's what a real friend does. That's what a real servant does. They have proven themselves. And he says, I have no one like him. Proverbs 18, 24 says it even better. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. In fact, he loved Timothy so much. I mean, in 2 Timothy, just hold your finger here. He's, he's, he's at the end of his life. He's about ready to die. And I want to show you what he says. He writes this letter to Timothy. Just hold your finger here and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9. He's, he's ready to die. Paul's at the end. And here's what he wants before he dies. Look what he says to young Timothy in verse 9. He says, do your best to come to me, what? Quickly. He says, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. And going to Thessalonica, Crescens, he's going to Galatia and Titus to, I always want to say Dalmatian, turned into dog. In verse 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in ministry. I sent Titius to, to, to Ephesus. And when you come, Timothy, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. At the end of his life, what did he want? He wanted Timothy. He wanted a coat to stay warm and he wanted his Bible. Why? Because there was this love for this young man who served God and served him. And he knew that when he would breathe his last breath, he wanted that kind of person beside him. Let me ask you, would anyone, any, would your own wife or own husband, would they want you nearby them when death was calling or would they want someone else? Would your name even appear on the pages? Would your picture be, even be in the painting of the end of someone's life? And Paul is saying, that's setting others above yourself. Paul loved these people so much that he said, even if I can't come to you, I will send you my best friend, Timothy, to care for you. Then he says this. I mean, okay, that's Timothy. So he's talking about another person. Like, he brings up another person. He says in verse 25, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. He's my brother. He's my coworker. And he's my fellow what? What's it say? Soldier. Man, that's incredible words. Who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon what? Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Why? Because he cared about them and he wanted to make sure they were cared for. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he has almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. 
He almost died. Papa died. I'm not sure what the sickness was. Maybe it was a, something in the water. Maybe it was in the food. Maybe it was even a, a mosquito that, 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 that stung him and, and, and he got a disease. But we know that he was sent by the Philippian church. And what was he sent with? He was sent with money to encourage him. And so the Philippian church says, hey, take this money, send it to Paul. So he gets there. He went there to serve him. He went there to love him. And now Paul is saying, Epaphroditus, I'm grateful for him. Like, I'm going to send him back to you because even though I can't come, I know that he will take care of you. And, 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 And he treated me well. Let me just give you a first century custom that you might not be aware of. In our world today, we have a jail ministry here at Grace Community. If you're on a jail ministry team and you're going to visit someone that's incarcerated and you go to the jail, there's been a background check, but when you come, you're treated well. Like you come in, in fact, the workers are glad that you're there to visit someone because that lifts that person up. And so you, in some cases, you're able to go back where they're at, but often in cases you have this visitation room, but, but the, the workers there, the guards that are there, they're glad that you're there because you're bringing good news. But let me tell you about first century jails especially Roman jails. If you went to visit someone, and in this case, Epaphroditus and Timothy did. If you went to visit someone that was in jail, as Paul was, you were treated just like the jailed person was, the incarcerated person. In fact, they would look at you and say, you must be the same way he is. Like they didn't say, hey, come on in. Here's a water bottle, sit down. No, you came in and you risk, in some cases, even your life to visit someone incarcerated. Timothy and Epaphroditus were willing to risk being treated poorly to go and serve their mentor, their brother, Paul. He risked his life, almost died with some disease, and then he risked it again by going and knocking on the door and saying, let me visit Paul. He wasn't treated well there. We don't even know if he was even fed well or given water well. We're not even sure that, that, that the guards didn't, didn't do what they did to Paul. But what we know that it wasn't as is, it is today. First century visitation was a lot different. You sometimes put your life on the line to visit someone. In fact, Paul says about Epaphroditus, he risked his life. It has the, the Greek word of risking means to hazards w- with one's life. It means to gamble your life for someone else. I read in a book recently about this. I was intrigued about this week, so I did a little more research on this. And here's what I found in regards to this. Says this in the early church, there were societies of men and women who called themselves, it's a Greek word, which is the riskers, or in this case, he risked his life, that are called riskers or gamblers. They ministered to the sick and imprisoned, and they saw to it that if at all possible, martyrs and sometimes even enemies would receive an honorable burial. They would put their life on the line. They were called what, what, what Paul is calling Epaphroditus. He's a risker. He's a gambler. He's putting his life on the line to be here for me. And there were these group of people in the first century that they called them riskers or, or gamblers. There was a special bond that Paul had with Epaphroditus that he was willing to risk his life for him. True friends, friends find a way to help and rescue you. You see, Epaphroditus didn't even fear death itself. 
And he was willing to take the necessary risk to help out his friend. He didn't fear death. I love what Oswald Chambers says about fear. He said, when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Let me read you a story that a true account of of someone who was a risker, who was just a young kid. Listen to this true account found in this book where I did some research in regards to a risker. Here's a modern day example. This is a special joy binds two friends who are not reluctant to risk danger for each other's behalf. If a true friend finds your need, he or she will find a way to help. Nor will a friend ever ask, how great is the risk? The question always is, when do you need me? Not even the threat of death holds back a friend. This reminds me, the author says, of a six-year-old girl who became deathly ill with a dread disease. To survive, she needed a blood transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the same illness. The situation was complicated by her rare blood type. Her nine-year-old brother qualified as a donor, but everyone was hesitant to ask him since he was just a small boy. They finally agreed to have the doctor pose the question to this small boy. The attending physician tactfully asked the boy if he was willing to be brave and donate blood for his sister. Though he didn't completely understand much about such things, the boy agreed without hesitation. Sure, I'll give my blood for my sister, he said. He lay down beside his sister and smiled at her as they pricked his arm with the needle. Then he closed his eyes and lay silently on the bed as the pint of blood was taken from him. Soon after, the physician came in to thank the little boy. The boy, with quivering lips and tears running down his cheeks, asked the doctor, when do I die? At that moment, the doctor realized that the naive little boy thought by giving his blood, he was giving up his life. Quickly, the story says he reassured the boy that he was not going to die. But amazed at his courage, the doctor asked, why were you willing to risk your life for her? And his reply was simple, because she is my sister and I love her. And that's what Paul's saying about Epaphroditus. He's my brother. And why would he risk his life? Because I'm his brother and he loves me. And so Paul was writing this letter, and the midst of this letter, he's saying, hey, church, listen, I know I wrote this 2,000 years ago, but God knew that it would be inspired and errant word of God. And he's saying to Grace Community Church today, how are you living your day today for the benefit of someone else? Like, is your schedule full of you today? Are you the me monster? Where are you serving and risking your life for someone else I love when I see people do that. I love when I see people go in and rescue children and adopt them and bring them home because these children can't make it. I love when I see the the parachurch organizations like Asia's Hope who goes into villages and rescues these children that probably would end up dying or human sex slavery because no one can help them. And I love when Grace Community Church and churches like ours wrap their arms around and support and verbally help and go and serve and financially hold up these precious kids so they can experience what we experience. Then he tells him, he says, by the way, when he comes, welcome him with joy and honor people like him. 
I love this verse. Paul's in prison and he's placing the interest. Like he's not saying, listen, don't, don't forget what I did. Don't forget I helped you plant the church. Don't, don't forget about that message I gave when, when 74 people got saved. He's saying, honor this man. Why do you say that, by the way? Because Paul was very familiar with scripture. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30, the Bible encourages us to honor those that honor God. And when we honor those that honor God, it says he will honor us. The idea here he's saying about Epaphroditus is to buoy him up and heal him with your love. Take time to honor those that serve the Lord. What did he do was so great? He cared for somebody. Why? Because look at, look at Philippians chapter two. If in case you forgot, this, this is why. Because look what it says in Philippians chapter two and verse five. Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used at his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the, the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself he, by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Every time I read that, I think, boy, Jesus could have. Like, imagine, like, he could have said, I'm the king of kings and Lord, and you want me to die? You want me to sweep the floors? I earned my way. I, earned, I worked hard to get this position. I, I'm not going to do something that I used to do in labor. Jesus said, not only will I labor, but listen, I'll give my life for someone. Oh, that's, that's incriminating, isn't it, some of us? I earned my way. I earned my, see my stripes? I worked too long at this plant for me to be doing that. When you come into my office and ask me to do that, are you kidding me? Well, Paul said, have the same mindset and in your relationships with one another as Christ Jesus had. And he was a humble servant. So he says, honor my friend. Lift him up. As I was prepping this week and came to this passage, um, I realized something. The spirit laid upon my heart that Maybe you're here today. You think, that's great, Pastor Jim, that he had friends. <laughs> Praise God that he had Timothy. Praise the Lord, he had Epaphroditus. But Pastor Jim, I feel like I'm on this island all by myself. And I've been fighting and I don't have friends like that. Where do you find friends like that? Where, where can I go? And who, I look at my contact list and everyone's busy. And I don't have friends like that. And it occurred to me, yes, you do. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus is the friend of believers. Jesus gave his life for you. And as I was reading this, it, it occurred to me this, that, 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 that maybe, maybe you have been trying to fill this void with, with your job. And maybe you've been trying to fill this void by being successful. And maybe you've been trying to fill this void with money and accomplishment and degrees. And the reason you feel so lonely is because, number one, you don't have that void filled with the only friend that can continue to fill it forever, Jesus Christ. And then I realized there's probably a group of you who have Jesus. But when Jesus put us here, he put us here with people. And people need people to encourage, to lift up. We're supposed to live in community. And it occurred to me, like, there's probably people in this room that are lonely. 
and you're hurting, you're wondering, where's my friend? Where's my Epaphroditus? And where's my Timothy? And you're walking through this dark journey and you're just longing for someone to reach out to you. You know, this week for me, it was, it was a challenging week, very difficult week, very joyful week, chose to choose joy. But in conversation with my siblings, my mother's health is, you know, progressively getting worse. And we have to make some really hard decisions. It's part of the journey. We understand that. And so we're watching her slip away, just step by step. She doesn't remember things and I'll just leave it there. It's like, the mom that I know is no longer there. Like, she's there, but she's not there. And as I was walking through that this week, there's something powerful about the community of family around me, my family and my siblings. And as we're, we're talking to each other, trying to make hard decisions for my stepfather and my mom and knowing that the roles reverse. And when they reverse, you become the parent and you have to do for them something that they might not like. And it was like for me thinking when I was a kid, young, like my parents wanted to do something for me. I didn't want them to do it. And I fought against them. It was like the roles have switched, but I know this, this is what's best. But there's comfort in knowing that you've got this support team that agrees with you. Do you? Or have you been trying to operate all by yourself? Making it your way, charging to the top, and you're recognizing, I'm on this island all by myself, and I don't even know who I would call if all hell broke loose in my home. Paul's looking at this church, and he's saying, listen, I'm incarcerated. I'm okay. Why? because I've had Timothy and I've had Epaphroditus with me, but I want you to know that I'm more concerned about you because my time is coming near and in. And you know what? I know where I'm headed to live as Christ and to die as gain. But listen, there's many of you have so much more to do. So you know what? I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you and soon I'll send Timothy back to you and I'm going to be all right. But I want you to know that I am willing to place your interests above mine. Would you bow your heads with me a second? I just want to ask you a question, two questions. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Jim, I would love to have a friend like that. Maybe you're here today and you might even be married. You're not getting that from your husband. You're not getting that from your wife. Maybe you're not getting that from your mom and dad. And maybe you're a single all by yourself floating out on this island. Maybe you're a widow or widow or for the first time in life, that companionship that you once had, that servanthood that you once felt, that, 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 that mate is gone. And maybe, maybe you're a single all by yourself and you've been trying to make it and there are nights that you are just lonely and you're crying out to God, Lord, touch me. Lord, heal me. Lord, give me a knock on my heart and a touch from above to know that you are there. Let me ask the question. If you're in this room today and you're in the link today and you're saying, Pastor Jim, I'm hurting, I'm lonely, I'm, I don't know if I can make it through this ordeal and, and I just need a touch. Like, well, I'm gonna pray for you here in a second. And you're asking and crying out that the Holy Spirit would touch you. And you're asking, you just need to know that someone else cares.
I'm going to ask you to do something. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm just asking if you want prayer today, to just slip your hand up, just hold it up. Don't be afraid, just hold it up, because I'm going to pray for you. Listen, this is your chance. Married, unmarried, single. Just, just hold it up. You're saying, I just want prayer. Come on, come on, be honest. It's part of the problem not being honest. Hold it up. Don't, don't give me a little half hold. Hold it up. Now, church, I want you to do something. Keep your hand up. I want you to just gently, quietly, discreetly, I want you to look ahead, look to your left, and look to your right if you see a hand. I want you to just place your hand on their shoulder. Let's be the body of Christ. Just gently, just, just reach out, put your hand on their shoulder. Just quietly. Now I'm going to pray for you. Father God, I pray for these individuals right here, right now. I pray that these touches that they're feeling that are empowered and provoked by the Spirit of God I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what you are good at. You tell us in John 14, 16, that another helper would come, another comforter would come, another advocate would come, and that another is the Holy Spirit. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you'll do what you're good at and you will comfort and you will encourage. And I pray that these touches will be the touches that help this person get through this week, not just survive, but thrive. And I pray, God, that you would meet that need. I pray that you would do immeasurably more than what they're asking or imagining. And I pray that they'll look back on this moment and say, because of the love of my friends around me and the work of the Holy Spirit and God above, I connect the dots that you are real, God. So please, God, bring healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and I realize this. Some of you might be here today, and you walked in for the first time, and maybe you've been here for a couple months, and maybe you're recognizing with heads bowed and eyes closed that you don't have a friend like Jesus. Like maybe you're realizing that you're trying to find this hope and this comfort somewhere else, and, and you're realizing today that I want the friend who is the eternal friend, who is the great comforter, who is the Father God, who will never leave me nor forsake me, who will walk by my side, who will give me great wisdom, who will fight for me, who will be my greatest advocate, who will never leave me nor forsake me. I want the friend called Jesus. Maybe that's you and Maybe you've been fighting it and maybe today for the first time you're recognizing that there hasn't been a time where I truly surrendered my will, my way and recognized that this void in my heart is there because of my sin and I need Jesus. And if I believe in the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, I'll be saved. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you're here today. And you're saying, Pastor Jim, I need Jesus. I need eternal life. I need hope beyond the grave. Today, I open my heart. I repent of my sin. And I ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And from this day forward, I will serve him. If that's you, and you're in the link and Maybe you're in the main here. With their heads bowed and 
eyes closed, we just raise your hand and say, Pastor Jim, today I just asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Just hold your hand up. Don't be afraid. Come on, praise God. Praise the Lord. All across this room. So Lord, I pray. I just pray right now, God. I pray, God, that you'll do what you're good at. You save souls. You, you sent your son Jesus to serve. Oh God, I pray that these individuals would experience the joy of the Lord. I pray, God, that they would experience this week these taps on the shoulders, these whispers that they'd never heard before from the Holy Spirit says, I got your back, I got your back, I got your back. I pray that you would empower them with this new heart, this new will, this new path, this new life. I pray, Lord, that they would live in such a way that there is no denial that the Holy Spirit lives in them. God, we're grateful that you're willing that none should perish. And we're grateful that you sent your son Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, to reduce himself to the size of a piece of salt, an embryo. Oh God, break our pride in our own hearts. Help us to be servants again. Help us to never think we're above serving. We love you, Jesus, and we rejoice today because what a friend we have in Jesus. No other friend like Jesus. And even as we sing this old tune today, may, may, may the joy of this relationship, may the truth of this old song just revitalize our hearts. And may we leave here knowing that you are with us and the world needs Jesus. I ask you to stand as we sing this powerful truth.